You know, when I was growing up, there was some music back in the 80s that I liked to listen to and get my groove on. I was really good at it, I thought. If I turn my boombox on in my room, it had this thing that said play, and you pushed it down like that, and the tape would start turning like this. Some of y'all need to look it up. And, and, and there was all kinds of music that I enjoyed listening to. I, I could go back and, and, and quote some of the songs, but I, I learned how to dance in my room. But, but the dance started by myself. It was one of those things that I was in there, you know, just dancing, and then, you know, you go to a dance, and you're up against the wall like this. Everybody's going to really do it. I remember when I was a junior or senior in high school, the, these, these I don't know what they were called. Uh, y'all have to help me. They were jeans that were faded in places. What do we call those, Jennifer? Stonewash. Stonewash. Y'all remember the stonewash? So I had me some stonewash. And, man, I was all dressed up, and I was going to go, and I'd already practiced. When they played this song, you know, uh, the conga. You remember the conga? Come on, shake your body, baby, do the conga. So uh, I was just going, man, I, the, the whole floor was going to clear when that song came on. And I knew they were going to play it. And so they played it, and I had my stonewashed jeans on, and I was ready, and I started making my way out there, you know. But then I noticed nobody cleared. And there were a few fingers pointing, and I got a little bit embarrassed, and I got a little ashamed, so I went back to the wall. It was safe at the wall. But the truth is, is that my dance started by myself. And some of you this morning, your dance has started by yourself. That's just, that's just where you are. You've not married yet. You've not had a partner come in, a dance partner come in. You've not, you've not had that happen to you yet. But dance and dance well as a single person. And what I mean by that is learn God's Word. Learn what God is doing for you, with you, about you. Take confidence in who you are as a child as a son or daughter of Christ, of God himself, take confidence in that and dance well. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Dance well. You know, a, a few years later after I, I, I got out, I remember, they, I don't know why they tried this. The last place I was stationed, they, they, they had a dance. It was at the NCO club, and uh, I just thought, you know, and they promoted it, and they promoted it, and they promoted it. And it was the Daisy Dukes dance. Now, I didn't wear my Daisy Dukes. I showed up for maybe five minutes and left that place. It looked more like the jungle. And, and it's not the way we were supposed to be dancing in that day of time. I, I remember I, I got out of the service and, and I went on my first date. And I told her, well, I, I enjoy dancing, you know. We'll go to Midnight Rodeo, we'll do something, y'all, you know, I was starting to look for a partner, so to speak, you know, somebody to come into my life, and, and we go uh, to, the, to dance, and I'm a two-stepper, and doing that kind of thing, and what happens? Well, the first rock song that comes on, and I'm standing out there, uh, she danced a lot different than I did. It looked a lot different, some things had changed, and I went, you know, I, I'm really not comfortable uh, uh, dancing like that. Now, I think it's gone even beyond that. But what I'm saying is if you're single, dance well, but know that there's a dance partner. If you're called to be married, there's a dance partner that's going to match up with you and going to be a great partner for you one day. Because this life is really a dance. It's, it's a path. 
If you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been talking about that, that dance partner who comes into your life, but all of a sudden we realize that, uh, hey, <coughs> those aren't the same moves we had when we were dating. The moves have changed a little bit. Some things have shifted. And we learned that we've got to learn to honor those differences. We, we enjoy the 80. We embrace the 20. And we learned last week that my response to how they da- dance differently now. You know, Alice and I, we, we try to do the pretzel still every now and then in the barn. You know, the music comes on. And you may not know what the pretzel is, but the pretzel is one of those fancy moves, you know, in the country and western swing stuff. But our arms have gotten shorter over the years. That's one thing I realized. And, and we get all tangled up and tripping around and laughing at each other. But that's what we got to do. We, we've got to realize my response is my responsibility. It's not getting angry with them because uh, we've grown older. It's beginning to understand that that's just it. We're growing older, but we're still in the dance. And today I want to talk about staying on the path. Without periodic evaluation, you cannot stay on the path without taking time to look at how well your dance is going in this life, not just with yourself, but also with your partner. How, what does that look like? What's that dance look like? It's important that we begin to evaluate and say, are we growing? Are we getting better? Do we understand one another more? But you've got to evaluate that. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, let's go there now as I pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that... Uh, Lord, I believe rhythm is a dancer. Lord, I do. I, I believe that you started our life with rhythm. The very first thing, God, that you show us as far as life in conception is a heartbeat, is a rhythm. Father, help us to see that where two or three are gathered, where two come together, where two make a covenant, there is supposed to be a rhythm and a dance that sings of your goodness, of your grace, and of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, marriage, it is to show reverence through Christ. It is to show that your dance is a dance of humility. Have you ever seen anybody dance in humility? Well, when they're willing to offer themselves for their partner, when they're, when they're willing to offer themselves for their husband or their wife to give, to submit, that's what it is. It's a submission. It's a hum, humility way. It's a humble way of living your life out. See, this is all wrapped up into Jesus. Jesus, even though he was God, the scripture says in Philippians 2, he did not look to supersede God in any way. In other words, he, he was an instruction of the humble life. He didn't look for equality with God. He went to the, to the very point of the cross through servanthood, through humility, teaching us that he did this for each and every one of us out of a humble life. See, this path is not a quick fix. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. I'll say that again, direction, not intention, determines your destination. Now, let me say it this way, real quick. 
Because if you have the right direction, some of you are faced true north. I think this is what gets us as far as complacency within our marriages, within our life, complacency with the church, complacency with our relationship with Christ, as we are always turned and facing Him, but we have to take steps towards Him. We don't just make a periodic evaluation and say, am I still facing that direction? But we say, what steps are we doing to draw closer? The scripture gives a warning to those who drift because we get further and further. Even though we're facing, we are drifting further and further away. It's important that we see that through humility, we find our way back through the willingness to learn, the willingness to submit ourselves one to another. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. To work at something is to move towards something. If you work at something as unto the Lord, it means that you are trying to do your best. Why? So that God gets the credit, so that others will see the dance. It will give witness of your life. It will give witness of who you are. It will give witness to your children as you learn to dance and humble yourself one to another. A marriage that is healthy, it takes work, but there is a reward. There is an inheritance. Isn't that awesome? That you find that dance partner and, and it's a reward. It's amazing to me. My daughters are old enough now that, to know that when dad and mom are dancing, what do they want to do? They want to dance, and they want to cut in, and they want Dad to show them the two-step. They, they want to know the pretzel. They, they want to know all these things. It's, it's an innate nature. They want to dance. And I pray that God would give them a husband. I pray that Allison and I could be a witness of His goodness, of His grace, of His mercy in our life, that our dance would be that good, that we would be able to humble and submit, therefore, to one another as unto the Lord. But it takes work. It takes intention, it, intentionality. It takes, hey, uh, taking those steps towards what makes it better in life and weeding out those things that make it worse. Any of you know who Pat Williams is? Okay, we better go to another example. I, I, I'm going to tell you, we, we've, we've got a book, in, and, and the book that, we've, that we used over vacation for our devotional is called Heroes. It's got several different people in there and, and successful people, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in business or whatever else, but all the principles go back to Scripture as you read about each one of these individuals. Anyway, Pat Williams, he's a senior vice president for the Orlando Magic. And for years, he was their general manager. He and his wife had four children of their own, but they also raised almost a dozen foster children. They are known for their loving marriage. When people looked, on, looked at them, they were like, wow, they just seemed to, to really honor one another. And it wasn't enough for them just to honor them, uh, one another and the institution of marriage. They wanted to bring others into that to be a witness to them, to show them what humility looks like. You know, it's interesting because when he was asked about his success in both championship basketball teams and having an incredible family, he stated he adopted a plan early on. And the plan that he adopted, he adopted from Walt Disney. Now, I bet all of you have heard of Walt Disney. Matter of fact, everybody found out we went to Florida and they said, oh, did you go to Disneyland, Disney World? I don't know the difference. I said, no. 
we were lucky to get to Florida. Don't you understand? We'd never seen the beach really as a family together. And we're like, hey, let's get on the sand. And let's... Anyway, that's a whole other story. But I know who Walt Disney is, whether I've been there or not. Walt Disney had basically five principles. Here they are, and I'm going to run through them quickly. Principle number one, think tomorrow. When you live only for the moment, you lose the connection to tomorrow. I mean, how many of us want to have golden years in our marriage? I bet everyone that's married wants to, wants to come into the golden years and, and have an incredible family and have an incredible legacy that you've left. But you've got to think tomorrow today. What am I doing to move towards my true north? Remember, direction, not intention, will determine your destination. But if that direction is not, if you're not moving in that direction, then we might have a problem. You've got to think tomorrow. What's going to make my tomorrow better is what I do today. Great principle. Principle number two. Dream the impossible dream. You know, a lot of times, uh, the first question I ask uh, marriages that are in that are struggling and in trouble the very first thing i'll ask them is is do you have a flame a flicker is there is there a coal left in your marriage for your spouse do you even have that and if they say well yeah just just a small one i say hey hey there's hope <laughs> you're not completely cold yet right when you're completely cold it gets difficult, a lot more difficult. But here's what I try to get them to do. Why don't you dream about what you want marriage to be? What would it be if you could dream that big, if you could dream the impossible dream for your marriage? If God is a big God, He doesn't know the word impossible, so what would your dream marriage look like? So often thinks, times we think it's a different partner, but that's not the truth. Principle number three. Now remember, these all come from Walt Disney. Pat Williams adopted these, and I just thought they were great to put in here. And we got this out of that book, The Heroes. Build for lasting quality. Give it your best. Build for lasting quality. I say this all the time. Sometimes the church, attendance-wise, is not where I want it to be. But if I can see the baseline of leaders growing, then I know that we're building for lasting quality that we're putting a team together, that one day is everyone's going to be so busy and it's going to be so incredible because there's going to be ministry at hand. And I feel like there is ministry at hand, but oftentimes people do what they know and it's my job to inform them there's more to do. <laughs> you get that? And so there's an equipping of the saints. There's an Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 that I'm responsible for. But how do we do that? Well, we have to build for lasting quality, not a flashbang but building for lasting quality. See, I think too many of us jump into a marriage, think it's going to be perfect because I love this person and they're so great and they even leave a rose in my seat when I get in. You know, I started that way with Allison. There was a day I took her out, picked her up, opened the door for her, and there's a rose. Y'all say, you're so cheesy. Well, you laugh at me now, but look what I got. You know, anyway. So, so, you know, uh, and then it would just be a year or so later after we were married, and I can remember her beating on the window in pouring rain because I forgot to unlock the door. I'd already jumped in. <laughs> so you got to build for lasting quality. You don't give up. You don't quit. You have date nights. Put those on your calendar. Do something together. 
Learn to love, learn to live one with another. Principle number four, you need stick to You need commitment. It just takes that in anything and everything. I know people who have gone through affairs who have managed to, to overcome that in their marriage. I know people who have been separated sometimes for years who have come back together, who have overcome those things in their marriage. It's not impossible. It takes commitment. First, commitment to Jesus. Then watch, commitment to ourselves and then commitment one to another. Principle number five, have fun. How about that? What happened to fun? You ever wonder, wonder about it? We get older and we're just old stick in the mud. I was thinking the other night, I need to show up at Midnight Rodeo. Then I thought, I better not. Because possibly what I couldn't do in the 80s may try to show up today, you know? That would be ugly. But you got to have fun. There's got to be some laughter. Enjoy what you are doing. Watch, enjoy what you are doing together. What does your spouse like to do? What do they enjoy doing? Where do they like to go? You ever thought to humble yourself just to take, take them and do what they want to do? Honestly, I didn't want to go to Florida. Put me in Colorado and lose me for a couple of weeks. That's okay. But Allison was like, I'm a beach person. I want to go to the beach. And if you get yours, I get mine's. And I was like, okay, we'll do it. No, she wasn't like that. But we agreed. Okay, well, let's go. I knew it's where she and the family wanted to go. Let's try it. So look, what, does all, what do all these principles have to do with marriage? Well, most who are successful in life, in jobs, and marriage, they have a plan. What is your plan? Do you ever take time to evaluate your marriage? Are you willing to work at it with all your hearts? Young men, young women, if you aren't married, do you have a list? Is, is, is there a list? And I'm not talking about a list in your head. How about write down a list, take down some qualities that you would want in a spouse and put them in your Bible and begin to pray over that spouse. If you're old enough to think about, you're old enough to do it. How about do those things? Because here's the truth. We've got to all manage tendencies within us. What causes us to drift? What causes us to get away from our dream? What causes us to quit dreaming for our marriage, for our relationships? Well, there are tendencies that oftentimes we have. Maybe you're good at being in the moment. Well, let me tell you something. You better learn to manage time. You ever know that life of the party? Shows up, and then you're like, where are they tomorrow? Why are they not at work? What's going on? They, they better learn how to manage their time. Good at taking on a lot of responsibility, you better learn to delegate or you'll burn yourself out. If you're good at managing and saving money, you better learn how to splurge a little every now and then because your spouse is going to want to know that they're important in your eyes. And it's unfortunate that we feel like we have to, we have to share monetary surprises or things to show them their value or worth. But if you're out there buying things for yourself all the time, uh-huh. You see our spouse is saying, well, they take more value in what they have than who I am. I found that most of what my family wants is time. Time. If you're good at getting tasks done, you better learn to slow down and enjoy the people that God puts on your path or in your path every day. If you're good at dreaming, you better learn how to get your head out of the clouds and get to work. If you don't learn how to manage your tendencies, you will get off track. You will begin to drift. The Bible tells us that we have a common tendency to drift. 
and we've got to learn to manage that. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Pay attention to what you, you've heard. I, I say this all the time, I believe this with all my heart, that awareness is the first step to responsibility. How aware are you this morning of how your relationship, how your marriage is? Are you willing to take responsibility so that you won't drift? Are you just facing north or are you moving that way so that you have a great destination in life, a great legacy to leave? See, if we don't have an evaluation tool, we tend to get into trouble. Marriage, the reason your marriage gets into trouble is because you don't evaluate it. Healthy evaluation. Uh, learn how to evaluate yourself. And be real because when you evaluate yourself, look, here's what happens. We get humbled in a hurry. You, you ever just take time to think about who you are? And you go, oh my goodness. Really? Did I think that? Did I say that? Did I do that? And it humbles us quickly. If we don't slow down and take time to evaluate ourselves, then we'll never take time to evaluate our marriage. What will make my marriage better? What will make it prosper? Where is our marriage today? It's amazing because we are great at evaluating everyone else. <laughs> I can evaluate all the marriages around me. I can evaluate everybody else's life but my own. You ever found yourself into that? A little bit judgmental, a little bit critical, a little bit everybody else has the problem. A little bit keep the spotlight off of me so I'll put it on them for a while so that I don't have to self-evaluate. It happens, folks. You know, I've said this many times, but the truth is, if I compare myself with you, I will always win because I will compare my strengths with your weaknesses and you lose. That just tends to be how we do it. That's what happens when we drift. We're not honest, but a true humble heart, a true humble heart will hear the voice of God and he will begin to work on us where we need to be worked on. We've got to stay on the path, and the only way, church, that we can stay on the path is to begin to learn how to evaluate where we are. Are we moving on this path? It's a path of love and respect. So you're at Ephesians 5.22. I'm going to start with Ephesians 5.21. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Young women who are not married, pay attention to this scripture. Because you want someone who is worthy to submit to in your life. Did you hear me? And you may say, well, Curtis, I don't agree with that. I, I just think I don't want to submit to anybody. I, I believe we're equal partners in the whole deal. I've read several books on marriage. I've got this degree. I've got this. Listen to me. God's word is and will always be the final authority to peace in your life. Men, listen to me. Ask yourself this question. Evaluate yourself here. Am I worthy of submission? Boy, that is a humbling question. That's one that will bowl you over. Am I worthy of submission? Do I lead? Do I give direction? Do I speak life and not death into what we have? Into this sacred union that God has given us. 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, that's huge. I mean, it's almost an embarrassment sometimes to think that God requires of us such leadership abilities that He created within us the ability to lead others into knowing Him through a witness of how we are worthy of others submitting to. It's an incredible responsibility. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the Word and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And you may say, well, Curtis, look at me. Obviously, I don't love my body. I'm 50 pounds overweight. I'm not in shape. I'm, uh, well, no, you're telling me that you love your body because you like to eat. That's all it is. And so when, when, when we say that, men and women of God, we are called to love ourselves. You may say, well, that doesn't sound like a very humble thing to do. When you understand that you are a child of the King, that you are the priesthood of believers, that we walk in royalty both in this world and in the next, that this is who God has made us and who He intends. That's not pride. That is taking confidence in who you are. You know, I want my children to be confident in everything they do. Not prideful, but I want them to be confident. I want them to know no matter how much the world beats them up, when they step into our household, they are someone. They are children of the King. And we're going to respect you and we're going to love you and someone's going to lead this ship. Someone's not afraid to take the reins even if the horse bucks a little. We're going to go and we're going to go together. And it's going to be a place where there's the washing of the Word. See, because he goes on to say, without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look, the two become what? One flesh. You better take care of it. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I remember years ago, I was counseling a young couple, and... and and the woman, this is what she told me. I've just never forgot it. Now, this isn't in this church or the previous, but uh, it was a church that I pastored years ago, and this young couple are sitting in front of me, and, and his problem with her was she blew up at the clerk one day checking out and said, this happens all the time. And so I just asked her, I said, why do you get angry so quick, so quickly? Sorry. Why? And... And this is what she says. She said, because I demand respect. And I looked at her and I said, I think you should try to earn it. This is a problem. We demand, we demand, we demand. But if we love others as we love ourselves, we'll stop demanding and we'll start trying to earn. 
That happens through a humble heart, through a willingness to serve. See, without periodic evaluation, without thinking about this, you can't stay on the path. The question is, how do we keep that from happening? How do we keep from drifting? Well, the questions you ask the most indicate what's most important to you. Start asking things like this. I I don't ask my kids, how was school today? Because I don't want a good or bad. Be grateful that you're there and that your daddy's not the one having to teach you. All right? There's some, but we can ask questions like this. What did you learn at school today? Did you learn something at school? What if we asked our spouse, hey, how could I serve you better today? That's a tough one. What, what would you like to do? How would you like to go with me and, and help me in what I'm doing? What do you think I could do better? You know, Allison was telling me the other day in, in my current situation, she said, well, I think this is what you need to do. You need to do these three things, bam, bam, bam. You know what? I can listen to that. Do you know why? Because I respect her. I can also say that ain't easy for me, girl. And if you want me to live that out, you better pray harder. It's just the truth. Leaders, if you want to change the people around you, then you've got to change what they focus on. Change the questions you ask them. Success comes from the quality of questions we ask ourselves and the choices we make to move in that direction, to move in that true north. If you want to land at a great place, then take your hand out. Maybe that's a great start for you. There's eight great questions for marriage. How have I expressed love or respect to you recently? What have I done to express that? Are we getting off the crazy cycle? That will bring up conversation. You better plan lunch on that one. How have I energized the relationship? Am I doing marriage as unto Jesus? How am I doing with 80-20? All these are great questions. But here's what statistics say. Statistics say that only 10% will actually apply what's being taught today. Church, we can beat that. We want a church that looks different. We want a church that takes us to a new place. We want a church that gives us direction. We want a church that truly shows the witness and the providential hand of God working in its midst. I'm going to end here with this. Guys, you only have a certain amount of time to evaluate who you are and how your marriage is. There's a time coming. I said here a while back, I walked by my son's bedroom early one morning, about five in the morning. He had his, he had his light on in his closet. And I walked by and I stopped. And I backed up, and I looked in there, and I said, Lord, I never got to say goodbye. He grew up. It's not a little boy laying in that bed anymore. Life is short, and you've got to take time to evaluate where you are and the destination you're going. I know plenty, including my dad, who lost my mother of 59 years of marriage. And I'm sure today he's sitting right there, but it wasn't wasn't enough. But in this life, we have a time limit. I'm going to close with this video. I'm Charles Tanner. My wife and I and my three kids in 1986 moved to Plainview. And about two or three houses away was the Seifert's house. And Paul and Deanne started a, a little 
study in their house, which turned out to be Harvest Christian Fellowship. My wife and I uh, were married 41 years. Uh, she passed away in the day of our 41st anniversary. And Kathy, by the way, passed, passed away from pancreatic cancer. She was diagnosed just before her 60th birthday, which was uh, February 18th, uh, 2014. So she was diagnosed then. They, they said she had stage four pancreatic cancer and that uh, she had maybe nine months to live. So she passed away in September. We had some hospice materials that we had to, we didn't have to go through them. I wanted to go through them. And it had a list of questions in it about some good end of life discussions to have. It went along the fact that said, is there anything that you want to talk to your spouse about uh, that maybe you've never talked about before? Or is there some regret that you may have that you wanted to discuss? Or um, something of some area of forgiveness that you want to talk about? Or is there something unspoken that you want to mention? And I, I read those to her and I said, I'd like for you to tell me what you think about this. I said, I, I think I already have an answer, but I want to hear what you have to say. And Kathy said, well, Charles, we, I don't really have anything to say. I think, I think we've talked about all these things before. She said, I think we have a wonderful marriage. And I sort of went, whew. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I said, because I didn't have anything to say either. And so after Kathy passed away, I started journaling some of the things that I had learned in my relationship about marriage and, and being married to Kathy. And it was, it was really wonderful because everything I had to say was positive. So in regards to being married, the best analogy I can come up with at, at this time uh, is, is probably a picture. And that picture would be um, that being married is like going through a maze together. And going through that maze, sometimes we have choices in terms of which path that we're gonna take. And in looking at that maze, it's not a very simple maze. Let's, if, we, if you talk about it in three dimensions, it's more like an obstacle course. And as a couple, we have to decide which challenge we're gonna go through and which ones we're not. And I think there's some things we just don't have to do, go through. But on the other hand, there are some significant challenges uh, that we have to go through together. So the significant or the important thing is, is that over the years, uh, Harvest has provided a number of tools that I mentioned earlier with, with uh, they've, they've helped give us a direction towards counseling, teachings on marriage, things we've learned in Brave Hearts um, and, and men's retreats and so on. And those are all tools that we can, we can utilize. And the thing is that my wife and I did utilize those. And as a result, we had a wonderful relationship. And so to get to the end of this maze, uh, we have to do that as a team. And we want to end up going out of that maze as a team, as, as a couple, and not as two individuals. Here's the interesting thing about Charles. Some of you know Charles. Charles was at youth camp this year, even at his age. And he was not only there, but he was my son's uh, small group leader at camp this year. 
he's just not going to quit. He's still got a destination. He's still got somewhere he's going to go. He's still got direction. And he's going to get to his destination. He's going to help others get there as well. I want to encourage you today. There's no doubt time is short. There's a time where you dance by yourself. There's a time where you'll dance with someone else. And there could come a time where you dance by yourself again. In such a way. But your dance should go before God. And as you do that, He will fill your every need. He'll bring you to a place of humility. He'll bring you to a place where you can learn to serve one and another. And we'll be the witness for Christ that He desperately needs in this world. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything this morning, please know that God is here to pray for you, to pray with you, to pray for your spouse over your spouse, or maybe it's a, a simple thing of you need prayer for something else. We're here for you. And God is here for you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this church, for your congregation, and for what you do and continue to do within it. Father, lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear your voice call to us, to submit ourselves, therefore, to one another, and to lead and lead well, to enjoy the dance. In Jesus' name, amen.